All right. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to church. A little bit of a different setup tonight. That's okay. Would you stand up? We're going to sing. Sing. Come, thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mountain fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I come and I, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. He saw me. Cause Jesus sought me when a stranger was wandering from the fold of God. Is he to rescue me from danger? Interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Here's my heart. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We're going to praise the name of God. I cast my mind. I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree body bound his body bound and drenched in tears they laid him down in Joseph's tomb the entrance sealed by heavy stone Messiah still and all Oh, praise the name. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forevermore. For endless days we will sing Your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord our God. Then on the third, then on the third, at break of dawn, oh, the Son of Heaven rose again, oh, trampled death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ our King. Oh, praise, 
Continue to move in this place, and Jesus, help us to not uh, not forget about your sacrifice or about your gospel. Help us to see you for who you are, and help us to uh, to know more about your heart tonight. Speak to us through your word. Amen. All right. Well, thanks for being here tonight on our Thanksgiving meal Wednesday night. Appreciate you uh, sitting around the tables like this. We've got the room set up in here for the Compass Preschool is having their Thanksgiving feast tomorrow. Also tomorrow at lunch, we have our senior adult pastor's potluck. So if you're coming, coming to pastor's potluck tomorrow, if you could do us a huge favor by parking on that west side, on the back side of the building, because we'll have about 250 people coming to this room for the, for the preschool lunch, and then right here in the Fellowship Hall, we'll have the senior adult potluck, so we're going to make the most of this building tomorrow at lunchtime, but if you're coming for the pastor's potluck, if you can just park in one of those spots there on the back, that would be a huge help. Um, otherwise, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll have people out there directing, directing traffic, but you'll still be in the fellowship hall. Just, just want to try to get everybody in the right spot. So the, um, on the table back there in the back, I put out a little half sheet so you could take some notes as Jordan teaches for us tonight. Uh, Jordan's been leading worship for us and tonight I ask him to, uh, to share from God's word. Thankfully, I didn't have to lead the music. And we didn't flip it completely, so he did double duty. He did the music and the, uh, and the preaching tonight. If he lets you out early, just say thanks. Uh, I can't promise you that I'll do that every time for you, but uh, he might, he might do, you, do that for you tonight, so we're thankful for him sharing. On the back of that is a little holiday calendar just to help you stay on track, make sure we're all on the same page about what is happening here at Emmaus I want you to know that this Sunday, we should, unless something goes wrong, we should have the 2020 church budget proposal ready for you to pick up. If you'd like to pick up a copy of that, we have three different discussion times. If you have questions about the budget, you want to talk about that at any time, we've listed those budget discussion times on here. We'll do that vote December the, uh, the 11th, that Wednesday night, which will be our final Wednesday night together for the... Uh, for this year. On December the 4th, so next Wednesday night, nothing because of Thanksgiving week. The following Wednesday night, December the 4th, I'm going to continue the 
long-held tradition, as in we've done it for four years, so we'll keep doing it, of doing a State of the Church address. Uh, so if you've not been here for the State of the Church address, this is your chance to get a feel for kind of where we are as a church and where God might be leading us. So we're going to do that two Wednesday nights from now. We'll do the business meeting the following Wednesday night, and that'll take us into the holiday season. And you can see a few other things listed on there. Uh, down at the very bottom, clear your schedule for the inaugural Emmaus Mini Golf Tournament. Uh, you may have seen the staff playing putt-putt in the hallways on Tuesdays before our staff meeting. Uh, we got so much feedback on that, we decided that we were going to set up a course throughout the church building and let people come up. You'll get a little scorecard. You'll have a chance to, uh, and we'll see who wins the inaugural uh, Emmaus Mini Golf Tournament that day. So it's going to be, that'll be a fun day while kids are on Christmas break and, and uh Hopefully you'll be able to come and come and take part in that. So anyway, we'll keep those in front of you. Just wanted you to have a little holiday calendar that might be helpful for you. Let's talk about prayer requests, things that are going on in your life or in the church. Any updates from people you've been praying for or you've been in contact with? Yes, James. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, James. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. Um, those of you who know Donna Sadler, who helps out with our quilt ministry, and some of you know Donna. I went by and saw Donna today in the hospital. She had a back surgery, and then in recovery, she managed to fall out of her bed, and she messed up her ankle. So now she's recovering from back surgery, and she has a bummed ankle. So she's in a bad She's in a bad spot uh, right now, but she has a sister that's taking care of her, and so those of you that know Donna, uh, just continue to encourage her. I told her we would try to check in on her as much as we, as much as we can. Um, I saw John and Casey Darnold today as well. Went by their house. Just continue to pray for them. Uh, Mr. John, you know, his, his memory's not good. He's, he, but... But they're doing okay. They're hanging in there. You can tell Casey is, uh, she has cabin fever a lot. She wants to get out, but she can't because she needs to be there uh, watching out for him. But those of you that know the Darnolds, just an encouragement would, would go a long way, checking in on them, and uh, they'd love to, love to hear from you. So, I feel like there's something else, but it's not coming to me. Yeah, go over Farshid was saying just continue to pray for the people of Iran with all of the turmoil that's happening there right now. And then in just a moment uh, after I pray, we're going to watch a, a video about Farshid's ministry. If you were here Sunday morning, you saw the video of the baptism that happened uh, a couple of weeks ago. This video uh, will just give you a broader picture of what his ministry looks like and what's going on there. So that's a great transition. Let's spend some time in prayer right now. And then I want you to be able to watch this missions video. And after the missions video, Jordan is going to come and preach for us. And then whenever he lets you go, you're free to go. So let's, let's pray together, and then we're going to watch that missions video. Father, we are thankful for your grace and mercy in our lives. At a time of year when we, we talk about Thanksgiving, and, and sometimes if we're not careful, we just let that pass by too quickly. God, let us not forget those things that we're thankful for. God, we're so thankful for the preschool and kids ministry that's happening here tonight. God, thank you for our youth group that's over there working with the Operation Christmas Child and, and so many people who are connected to that ministry and all the churches that are coming to uh, Emmaus this week, dropping off boxes and knowing those boxes are going around the world. God, thank you for, for our youth 
and, and Sharon and Christine and their work there. Father, thank you for college ministry and young adult ministry. Thank you for those people that are in the, uh, the financial peace group tonight. God, I'm so thankful for, for this church family. Thankful that tomorrow that we gather for fellowship with lunch, that we have a, a preschool that is able to see so many parents and grandparents come to see their kids and what they're learning and, and the impact that our church is able to have through that. God, thank you for the conversations that happened yesterday as we had people going out into the neighborhoods to share the gospel and pray with people. God, thank you for the incredible work that you did through that. God, we look forward to what is coming in the days ahead. We know there's hard times. We know we face challenges. We know that we have people in our church that are hurting. But God, we pray that you would be with them. Use us to encourage and strengthen one another. God, thanks for Jordan and what he's meant to our church and the encouragement he's been to us and the way he's led us and our students in musical worship. God, I pray that you would be with him as he teaches from your word tonight, that we would be receptive, God, that we would hear that fresh word from you um, as he teaches. And God, thank you for the wonderful gift of ministry partnership with Farshid. God, thank you for what a joy he is um, to be around and the encouragement and partnership and the way that you've used him here and at Henderson Hills and Cherokee and so many other places, God. We're thankful for that ministry, and we do pray, pray for the people of Iran. God, we thank you for the growth of the church there. We thank you for so many people who are coming to faith in Christ, but we know there's a lot of turmoil there. There's a lot of hurt. And so, God, we pray for the people there. We pray that they would come to know uh, the salvation and the light of, of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's watch this video just for a minute, if we can get it to come up, and then... All right, there it is. All right, well, uh, actually, uh, my roommate in college was a member of Henderson Hills, so I'm very familiar with everything they're doing over there, and they have a real heart for missions, not only across the world, but also here in the city. They're doing incredible things um, on the other side of Oklahoma City, so thanks what you're doing. Um, it makes me really excited to see what everything is going on in the life of this church, especially the mini golf tournament. I didn't know about that till tonight. That's going to be a blast. I'm really, that's going to be so fun. Um, when I was in, we did the same thing when I was a senior in high school, and it turned into a huge competition. It got kind of ugly. So <laughs> watch, watch the teenagers. Watch out. <laughs> but that'll be so fun. Or the senior adults, too, yeah. Um, well, a little bit about me. Some of you guys know me, and I've been introduced several times. Um, I grew up in Kansas City, um, Kansas. Moved down to Shawnee to go to OBU when I uh, was 18 to go to college. And I was the first person at OBU to get my degree, which was worship ministry. And uh, it was kind of, I was kind of the guinea pig and they did a lot of uh, testing on me, and it, uh, some parts were better than others, but uh, really grateful for my time there. Uh, learned a lot and got connected here through that, so really grateful for that, and the one thing they don't teach you in a worship ministry degree is how to preach, so here's, here goes nothing. Okay, uh, so I've been leading worship here for uh, a couple years now. Um, led worship on Sundays a few times and been leading for the students, and here for about a year uh, to uh, one of the joys of my life. It's been great. You guys have been so generous and uh, gracious to me, so I appreciate you. But um, I was grateful for the opportunity to teach tonight. This will be my fifth time preaching in my life. <laughs> so I'm a worship leader, so guess I'll give you one guess on what I'm going to talk about. Worship. Okay. Uh, and I thought, what better passage to focus on than my favorite passage in the Bible, which is John chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles, flip over to John chapter 4. And we're going to just kind of walk through most of the chapter together and talk about what worship is and three things that happen when we worship. Okay, let me pray for us. Jesus, uh, one more time, we'll come before you right now, and as we look into this passage and this familiar story, pray that you would make it uh, fresh tonight, make it new for us, help us to see you for who you are, and just speak to us through your word. Uh, help me not to get in the way tonight, 
and just to let you let your word do the work. Amen. Okay, so before we talk about three things, I, I should have sent my notes, I guess, to Owen, but uh, I only got three points tonight, and uh, before we get to those, just going to define what worship is real quick. Um, in the Bible, when the, when the scriptures talk about worship, it hardly ever talks about music. It's extremely rare for the passages, the key passages on worship in scripture to talk about music. That doesn't happen, which is something really profound because uh, worship should not be something that we do for an hour and a half on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights. It's a lifestyle that we step into as followers of Jesus. And so the word worship actually derives from worthy. And uh, so tonight, just going to tell a little story uh, about the first time this does have to do with music. The first time I got a guitar, um, we, me and my dad went to buy my first guitar from a friend of ours, and his name was Mark, and Mark said when we were ready to buy it and ready to leave, he said, uh, my dad asked, how much do we pay? And he said, just give me what you think it's worth. And my dad has his, is a pastor. He's used this example for years. I didn't catch up, catch on to this at the time. But this is the same thing that God is saying to us when we come to worship, is give me what you think I'm worth. So when we come to worship, this is what Jesus is asking for us. What is Jesus worth to us? Is he worthy of a few minutes every day? Is he worthy of our voice when we worship? Is he worthy of our breath as we sing? Is he worthy of our focus and our attention? Is he more worthy of our devotion than our jobs or our family relationships, our finances? Is he more worthy of that, of our focus, of our attention, um, than the worldly things of our lives? Because we were worth everything to him. We were worth his son to him. And so what is he worth to us? What are we willing to sacrifice or to give um, in worship to Jesus. This is the question that's being asked of us, and when we think about what worship actually is, it can be kind of uh, confusing and uh, hard to define uh, very clearly, but a definition that I have focused on for as I've studied worship and as I've tried to dive deep into what it means to lead worship, um, worship is simply a response to the revelation of God. So if you're taking notes, this is the first thing. Worship is a response to the revelation of God, and we see this throughout all of Scripture, um, starting in Genesis, when Jacob uh, has a dream of, Jesus, of the heavens opening up like a gate, and he realizes that where he's standing, where he actually where he was sleeping, uh, that the presence of Jesus is with him. And what he did he do in response? He built an altar, and he said, this is the house of God. And he worshipped. Same thing with Moses. When Moses went, uh, encountered the burning bush, he fell on his knees in worship. Um, Ten Commandments. When Jesus, or when God passed by uh, Moses on the hilltop, it's all over Scripture, and you see it throughout all. And even up to uh, Saul of Tarsus, when he encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus, a, by all accounts, a terrorist and a murderer of Christians, encounters Jesus and says, who are you, Lord? Recognizes Jesus for who he is and calls him Lord, and then he worships and he uh, makes a complete about face and begins to follow Jesus in that moment. So, worship is a response to the revelation of God. If this is true, then we have to learn how to see God, and he's revealing himself to us all the time, and we just have to have eyes to see it. He's revealing himself through his word, is the big one, through the scriptures, um, revealing himself through uh, pastors and teachers and other people, revealing himself in creation. Scripture says that um, all of creation will cry out to God and that Jesus is, and that God's character is revealed in uh, creation itself. And so if worship is really a response to the revelation of God, then we have to cultivate or create the clearest view of who Jesus is in our hearts so that we can see him uh, as clearly as possible. And how do we do this? By 
devoting our lives to him, spending our time in the word, uh, giving our lives over to Jesus, praying, memorizing scripture, the whole nine yards. And one of my favorite quotes about worship um, from one of my favorite pastors, he says, uh, when we know who we are and who he is, and then we stare into the massive, terrifying gap that Jesus filled with his blood-bought grace and forgiveness, this is where worship flourishes. So if we look at who we are right here, and then we look at who God is over here or way over there, so much more holy than we are, and we are uh, so sinful, and then we look into this gap that seems impassable, and then we realize that Jesus covered this gap with his blood and offered forgiveness and made a way for us, and then we worship out of that. This is where true worship flourishes um, and is authentic, because we worship because we have been lifted from this place far away from God, and we've been seated at the feet of Jesus by his blood and by his grace. Uh, so this, that is a snapshot. That's a whole nother sermon or series. Uh, but this, uh, that's just kind of a snapshot of what is worship? Why do we worship? We worship because he is worthy of it. And that's the simplest way that we can do it. But John 4 shows us three things that happen when we worship and when we worship correctly. Um, number one is that when we worship, we come as broken people. We come with a lot of hurt and a lot of shame, and we've forgotten the gospel. We've forgotten who Jesus is. So we come to worship as broken people is the first thing that happens. The second thing that happens is that we meet with Jesus. And sometimes that can be painful as Jesus convicts us, convicts us of things and shows us our wounds and our weaknesses and our own sins. So it can be painful, but we meet with Jesus and then the third thing is that when we come to worship as broken people and we meet with Jesus, the third thing is that we leave changed. And we see this in John 4, which is the story of the woman at the well, which is very familiar. But it gives us a really clear picture of who Jesus is and how he works and then how we should worship. Okay, sound good? We're going to dive in. Okay, John 4, verse 1. I'm going to read till verse 9, and then we're going to talk, and then we're going to take it in sections and just walk through this thing. Okay, John 4, chapter, uh, verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea, Jesus left Judea, and departed again for Galilee. So if you look at... Here, we'll take this piece of paper as a map of Israel, which is kind of like a rectangle. Jerusalem would be in the middle, and then Galilee is straight north, and Samaria is in between. And so when a Jewish person would travel from Jerusalem to Galilee, they would uh, usually go around Samaria as to avoid Samaritans, because Jews and Samaritans did not get along. But Jesus does not do this, and we'll see why? So verse 4, continuing on, he had to pass through Samaria. He didn't have to, but he chose to because he had, a, uh, he had a plan for this woman that he was going to meet. So he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well and it was about the sixth hour. So we'll pause right there for just a second. I love that verse, uh, last verse uh, uh, six, because it shows us that Jesus was one of us. He was a man, and he was God, and he was fully God, but he was also fully man. And he was down in the muck and the mire with us. He lived, and he got hungry and tired, and he wept with us um, as to sympathize with our weaknesses. Uh, this is who Jesus is. He cares about us on a deep, deep level because he uh, lived in our shoes and on this earth with us. So I love what verse 6 says there. But just to kind of paint you a picture here, in verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? 
for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So if you put yourself in this conversation uh, that is about to take a turn, th- uh, this is around noon in Israel, in ancient Israel, so it would have been really hot. And in, I got to go to Israel a couple years ago, and in the area that this would have taken place in Galilee, it's extremely lush and green. There, it, when you think of Israel, you think of Middle East uh, desert, and it's dry, but it, it's actually beautiful and green up there. So this would have been a really beautiful scenery um, around this well that women from the city would have gone to in the morning to draw well, to draw water from the well. Well, this woman is here at noon, around the sixth hour, because she's hiding. She doesn't want to be seen by the rest of the village, by the rest of the city. She wants to be alone because she's hiding something, and she doesn't want to be ashamed. So she's here at noon, when she should have been there in the morning. And Jesus, uh, coincidentally, not really, meets her there. So the first thing that we see, and we're going to read this in verses 9 through 15 in just a second. The first thing we see is that when we come to worship, we come with a lot of hurt and shame, and we've forgotten the gospel and we're broken people that need to be reminded of Jesus's love and of Jesus's grace. So that's point number one. And verses 9 through 15. Okay. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everybody who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So a couple things stick out. She doesn't get it. She doesn't understand what Jesus is saying, right? Because Jesus is saying that I'm going to give you life and give it to you abundantly. It's going to be a wellspring of water bubbling up inside of you. Um, And she is saying, how are you going to draw well out of, out of this water? You don't even have anything to do it with. And Jesus is like, nope, let, let me try again. He says it again. And then she still says, I want some of that so that I don't have to come and drink water ever again or come get water anymore because she doesn't want to go to the well every day. So she doesn't get it. She doesn't see that Jesus is actually talking about her life here and about the life of everybody who is ever going to live. And he is saying that he offers living water, and she's wondering how he's going to get the water. And then she asks, how can I get the water so that I don't have to come to the well every day? She's confused by what Jesus is saying to her. And we're the same way. We come in on Sundays, on Wednesdays, and we may know in our heads, in our minds, that Jesus gives us life abundantly, but we, we may not act like it, and we may not believe it throughout the week. We may walk away, and uh, we need to be reminded of the gospel when we come to worship. We, me- we need to be reminded of the life that Jesus gives. We need to repent of our sin. We need to lay down our baggage at the door and walk in unburdened, but instead we walk in and we carry the shame with us, and we sit in the chairs of the sanctuary, and we may not even know on some level that we've forgotten the gospel, but in reality, we're all broken people who need a, uh, need a savior, and we all need to be reminded of the gospel every day. So this is how this woman comes to Jesus, broken, not really knowing who she is or what she's doing, ashamed of her past, uh, coming to the well when nobody else is there, and avoiding people, and then not understanding what Jesus is saying. This is how she's coming in to her encounter with Jesus. And this is how we come often into our own encounters with Jesus. We come wandering, prone to wander, and broken, 
and needing a Savior. So that's number one. We come with hurt and shame, forgotten the gospel, broken people who need a Savior. The second thing that happens when we worship is that we meet with Jesus. So verse 16, moving right along. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here after she has asked for the living water, but not understanding what she's asking for. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So, Around verse 21, uh, or uh, 19 through 20, this conversation takes a big turn because Jesus says to her something that is, on the surface level, seems really hurtful and cruel. He says, go call your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And she's had five husbands, and she's not even with her current husband anymore. So this is something that she's ashamed of, and Jesus pokes at it and touches it, and she immediately uh, tries to turn the conversation around, Um, because this is a wound that she's dealing with, and when you talk about the difference between a wound and a scar, um, I have a story that is kind of gross, so if you don't like medical stuff, um, I don't know what to tell you, but... (laughs) Um, I, a couple summers ago, I got bit by a spider on the inside of my knee, right there. And over the course of a month, I didn't think anything of it, and I didn't do anything about it, but by the end of the month, I was in a wheelchair for about two days. And couldn't walk, it hurt too bad to stand, and so I was, uh, for about two days, I had to get around the church I was working at in a wheelchair which was super embarrassing because I I was 19 at the time. (laughs) So that was not good. But anyway, what had happened is that it was a, I don't remember getting bit. It was either in the night or some, uh, when I was out in the field with some friends or something. I don't remember when, but they were sure it was a spider, but they didn't know what it was, but they knew it was a poisonous spider. And so basically what happened is I had three or four lymph nodes, which are muscles that fight infection. I learned a lot about anatomy during this, but lymph nodes are muscles that fight infection, and I had three or four of them swell up to the size of ping pong balls and then die, and they were not going to swell down by by themselves. They had to be removed, and I saw four doctors to see what was going on, and by the time I saw the fourth one, he said, you are having surgery tomorrow, and so I went into surgery for the first time in my life. I was 19, and I had, it was a really simple operation, but afterwards, the wound that they did the operation on, they said that they couldn't sew it shut because if they sewed the wound shut, I would have infection in my leg still, and it, I would be, I would be back in the same situation in a few weeks. So they had to leave the wound open, and I had to redress the wound every few hours for about a month, and it was painful to do it, and I basically had to wait for it to heal on its own and bleed out, basically. It was terrible. And I was in marching band at the time, so I couldn't do marching band. <laughs> so basically, that not to gross you out, it was gross. Um, but um, the point of that is, as soon as I had the surgery, as soon as I had this, these things, these, uh, infect- these infected things removed, I immediately felt better. Now, I still had to dress the wound and deal with it every now and then, 
now and, now and again, but I immediately could walk, I immediately had mobility, and I just had to work my way up to uh, full strength again. It took a little bit of time, but by the end of it, I was, uh, I was better off for it. Now, this is the same thing that happens with this woman. Uh, spoiler alert, at the end of the story, after Jesus has dealt with this wound of hers, she has healed, and now she goes, and she goes into her city, and people get saved because of it. Uh, but we'll get there in a second. So, the second thing that happens is that we meet with Jesus. And this, is, uh, this can be a little awkward if you picture yourself in this conversation, and you know that this woman has had five husbands, and that she's now no longer with it, and then Jesus asks, go get your husband, you're all of a sudden going to be, oh, awkward, because she uh, doesn't have a husband, and it's going to be, she's kind of like the town gossip, and uh, that would be a very touchy subject for her, so what she does is, if somebody would have stabbed me in my wound, I would have lashed out, so what this woman does is she says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, and she tries to trip him up with a theology question, Jesus, uh, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And she's trying to change the conversation, but Jesus doesn't miss a, miss a beat and says that the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship what you, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. The hour is coming is now near, is now here, when true worshipers, and this is my life verse here, True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is seeking such people to worship him. Now this is what, when we come to worship Jesus and we meet with Jesus, this is the two components that worship has to have, spirit and truth. Because you can sing a song with as much passion and spirit as you can, but it ha if it has no truth, then it's nothing. And on the op opposite side, if you sing a song or you worship and it has a ton of truth in it, but it has no heart to it, then that is nothing. You have to have both at the same time, which is hard to do, but it's key to uh, worshiping Jesus. Um, so that's the first sub-point of two. Uh, the second thing that we see in this passage here is that uh, Jesus works in a way that seems cruel, but is actually very loving. Because he goes straight for the wound of her, of her life. Something that she's ashamed of, that she doesn't want mentioned. She goes, he goes straight for it. And he doesn't ignore it, and he doesn't beat around the bush. He asks her to bring her husband, to bring this to him. Uh, right there in that moment. And Jesus knew what he was doing in this moment. He, he didn't think, you know, oh, just go get your husband. He knew what he was doing, just like he knew what he was doing on the cross when he bought our sins and when he paid for our, uh, for our sins on the cross. He knew what he was doing, and today he's not up in heaven looking down on us every time we sin, thinking, oh, I regret doing that. I didn't know he was going to do that, so I regret dying on the cross. That's not how Jesus works. That's the point of the cross, that Jesus knew what he was buying on the cross, and he took on the wrath anyways and died in our place. And that's the point of the cross. Jesus wants us to bring him our weakness, and so he asks her to bring her husband to him. And this is the way that we experience grace and mercy from God even today. It's the same way. We experience the grace and the mercy of God by bringing our brokenness and our weak and weak, uh, weakness, our, our grief and our regret and our uh, sickness and our pride and our sin. We bring it to the feet of Jesus because that is the very thing that Jesus has come to redeem. He said that uh, the he healthy people don't need a doctor. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And so he didn't come, and he doesn't ask us to come to him with our good things and say, hey, Jesus, I memorized this many uh, verses this month, or I helped this many people at a shelter, or I fed this many people. This is not what Jesus is asking for, because if we, if we got the grace and the mercy from Jesus based on the good things we did, it could never measure up. That's why praise God, by the grace of his blood and of his mercy, 
uh, Jesus asks us to bring us bring him our weakness and our brokenness uh, because he has covered that with all of his goodness and with all of his mercy. And so this is the way to receive grace and mercy. It's not through our own strength. It's through our weakness. It's through the strength of Jesus that we experience grace and mercy. If you want living water and to be set free and have, as the scripture says, to have a wellspring of water living inside of you, then the good things that you've done in your life, that I've done in my life, are not going to amount to anything. What's going to matter in life is what were we willing to sacrifice to give to Jesus? What were we willing to give up for him? So meeting with Jesus is the second thing that happens when we worship. And sometimes it can be hard and it can hurt sometimes. But it's the way to receive grace and mercy when we uh, let go of our wounds and our weaknesses and we bring them to the feet of Jesus. Okay, so the third thing that happens in when we worship is that we leave changed. So we come as broken people needing a Savior, we meet with Jesus, and then we leave changed. And we see this in verse 28. Read with me in verse 28. So the woman left, uh, the woman left her water jar and went away into town, said to the people, Come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. So let's stop right there in verse uh, 28. You see that the woman left her water jar, the very thing that symbolized her weakness and her shame. She left it at the well and went running back into town to tell everybody she could see about Jesus, about this man. Skipping down to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. She has laid down her wounds and her weaknesses, and everything that is important to her, she left to go and tell others. She forgot about her shame and her guilt, her embarrassment, and she went into the town and people got saved. People came, people came to know Jesus. When we meet with Jesus, he calls us to lay down our weaknesses and sins down at his feet so that we can leave and be lights in this dark world. And her story is our story as well. As a result of her faith, many Samaritans got saved. And if we look at this story and put it in 2019, it's still 2019, yeah, 2020 is coming. Uh, who could be saved as a result of us finally letting go of our past regret and our past shame and going into our workplaces or our jobs and sharing the light of Jesus? Who could be saved as a result of this? It could be the whole town. And if that happened, we would need a lot more churches. But that'd be a good problem to have. So in verse 42, we see then that the hearts of the people were changed, and now, that they s and now they see for themselves. So if we were to bring this message of the gospel to our city, eventually the hearts of the city, the hearts of the people, would be changed and turned back to God. And this is what we so desperately need in our city today. So, back, uh, back to the beginning, three things happen. We come to worship with a lot of hurt as broken people, and we need to be, to be reminded of the gospel. We meet with Jesus, and this can be painful and convicting, and Jesus can reveal things to us that sting, but it is not out of his, uh, it's not that he despises us, it's that he has such a deep love for us, that he is willing and able to uh, take our weaknesses and then uh, help us to build back up by his strength, not by our own. So we meet with Jesus, and then we leave changed. Every time we come to worship, we should leave changed for the better of the gospel because Jesus is shaping us and forming us by, uh, by the words of what we sing, by the words of the preaching. He's shaping and forming us 
And just like he did in Psalm 139, where it says that he formed and shaped us in our mother's womb, he is still forming us today. And he is helping us grow by the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, and he's drawing our hearts back to himself. And all we have to do is come in with open hands and say, okay, God, do what you need to do, and not say, Jesus, do what's, do what's going to make me happy, or do what's going to make me feel good, or make me be successful, coming in and saying, Jesus, you do what you need to do so that I can be closer to you and that so more people can come to know of your saving grace. Amen. Okay. That's all I got. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you for this truth. Thank you for this passage and for who you are. And thank you that you've given us a clear picture of who you are. Uh, Jesus, uh, we pray that we would come into our times of worship together, recognizing our brokenness and recognizing that we are shameful and that we have sinned, but then having open hands and open hearts, willing to meet with you and to be convicted by things, willing to be changed, and then help us to leave this place. And every time we gather, help us to leave changed for, your, for the better and give us the courage and the boldness to uh, have others come to worship Jesus and to meet with Jesus and be changed. Jesus, we pray for your revival in this city, and we, uh, we pray that you would do it through us. Help us to be willing and able to do that. And Jesus, we love you today, and we thank you for your sacrifice. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.